This is Care Less, Do More. What's up, listeners, friends of the collective, new and old? This is your host, Michelle Parker. Thank you so much for tuning in to Care Less, Do More. Today, I get to release a conversation with the one and only Ingrid Backstrom. Ingrid has been and will be for a very long time to come one of my real-life superheroes. She paved the way for Minnie and Skiing with her debut in Matchstick Productions a long time ago. This year marks both of our 20th years as professional skiers, and Ingrid is currently celebrating by way of setting a goal to ski 100 days in a row. As a result, we had to keep the conversation a bit shorter to ensure that we made it to night skiing with her two daughters, her husband, and a couple of rope toes at the local to Leavenworth Ski Hill. This place is magical. It's a ski hill built for kids learning to ski, and I had a blast. Kids young and old, because I still consider myself a child. Before we jump into this highly anticipated conversation, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Without their support, these podcasts wouldn't be possible. Shouts to Anon for keeping me oh so cozy all winter long. You might be wondering why goggles would make me cozy, but it's really the entire system that the fine folks at Anon have invented. Explore Anon seamless kits, including on-snow helmets, goggles, and magnetically integrated face mask, designed for your comfortable and gap-free coverage from the neck up. Find your kit and make it yours at anonoptics.com. You heard me, I said from the neck up, their magnetic face masks are the jam, especially on storm days or when you want to keep your skin protected from the sun. It's the best system. The face mask links right onto your goggles, which fit seamlessly with your helmet. The whole kit's amazing. Go check them out. Additionally, I'd like to thank Darn Tough Socks. These socks are not just your run-of-the-mill socks. They are made with thought, precision, love, Yes, straight up, these socks are actually made with love. I've seen it happen. And they'll likely outlast any other sock brand out there. I said it. Not them, but I said it. I'm claiming that. They're made with extra wool and extra material. They're the best. Made to last for miles and miles. When I visited the factory, one of the best things that I was most impressed with was the quality control. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that every single sock is touched and inspected at least 10 times. I think it's more like 13 by different people before it leaves the factory and gets into your hands. Darn Tough is always doing good things for our greater community, and it's a brand local to the U.S. using high quality materials and straight up the most care goes into these socks. Get yourself some Darn Tough socks. Ingrid Backstrom has been a professional skier for the past 20 years. She's a pioneer for women in freeride, for women starring in films, starting a family as a professional skier while maintaining sponsorships, and one of the most humble and down-to-earth people. I've been to a lot of professional skiers' websites lately, and Ingrid's is by far the most understated of them all. Her accomplishments aren't listed, and many awards she has won are not listed, but they're recipes and incredible writing, and I highly suggest you go and check it out. (laughs) Ingrid, however, has won Best Female Performance five or six times, which I think is a standing record. She took home Reader's Choice year after year for a total of nine times. She filmed with Matchstick Productions and was a staple in their film. A huge inspiration to myself, as she has the first ascent on Red Domain Peak in China, has been to Denali, attempted to ski Gasherbaum 2, and has a running list of firsts in Baffin Island, Greenland, and Antarctica. I almost wanted to read Ingrid's introduction on her website, which says that she's a professional skier, a newish mom, and an amateur but enthusiastic cook, a mountain biker, a trail runner, and a berry picker, among other things. It really brought a huge smile to my face. I was like, of course Ingrid wouldn't list her sponsors. (laughs) But welcome to the podcast, Ingrid. (laughs) 
Oh, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> I really appreciate taking your time out of your day. I guess we'll get it started. For the listeners, we have about an hour because we're going night skiing with the kids and we just went skiing together and that's a perfectly acceptable reason to cut this thing a little short. But I want to hear about your introduction to skiing with your family here in Seattle. Yeah, for sure. I grew up just south of Seattle and my parents were volunteer ski patrols every weekend at um, Crystal Mountain. So that meant that they basically alternated weekends if they worked and then we all got free passes. There's tons of hand-me-down gear from all the patrol families. And back then you could park in the parking lot for free. So my parents bought a converted 1954 bookmobile from another patroller that was converted to sleep eight. So basically like if you imagine like a UPS truck, but from the 1950s, but a motorhome on the inside. Wow. It was incredible. Like, yeah, it was like the definite granddaddy of like the modern day sprinter van build out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was sweet. It was such an awesome way to spend every single weekend just like playing in the snow right until bedtime, um, wake up, go skiing and do it again. Yeah. With you and your two brothers. Yeah. Me and my two brothers. And yeah, just an amazing every Friday night after school, my parents would pack us up and we'd come home late every Sunday night in the winter. And yeah, I mean, at the time when I was 14, like being seen in our neighborhood, driving around in that thing, I was so embarrassed. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was so cool that my parents did that for us. Yeah. Did you love that at that time? Um, not at that time. No, I just wanted to like, I don't know, as a 14 year old girl, I just wanted to like go to the school dances and like hang out with my friends and go to the mall. And I was like, <laughs> why do we have to go skiing again? But I think that's just natural at that age. You want to do what your friends are doing. And whatever your family's doing seems dorky. Um, but no, my parents just said, this is what we do as a family. And the thing that really made it for me was I didn't start racing until I was 12. But around that time, my parents let me race, um, even though it was like super expensive. But they still made it happen because that's what all the awesome kids were doing and the friends that I wanted to hang out with. So that's what really kept me going was I had awesome friends that I got to see and ski with every single weekend. Yeah. So you were a racer. Yeah, I was a racer, but I didn't start till late. So I would get like fifth to last in a race. Like I was not good. <laughs> yeah. But it kept me skiing and I had those awesome friends. Yeah. Yeah. And when did skiing really turn into a passion for you? Um, I think in college because I ski raced in college and that was when I was skiing, you know, five days a week. Before that, I'd skied two days a week. Um, in college, I was able to ski five days a week. We were doing dryland training. I was learning how to like lift weights in the gym and stuff. And I got a lot stronger and I got a lot bigger. Um, and I got a lot better at racing. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but after we'd, every weekend we'd pile in the van and go to a different ski race. And a lot of the racers would just go in the lodge afterwards, but I had awesome friends on my ski team and my brother. Um, when I got, when I was a senior, my brother was there and they just wanted to free ski. And so we'd be at like Brundage Mountain in McCall and after the race, it'd be a powder day and we would just go shred laps. And that's when I was like, oh, this is, this is what I want to do. I just want to go basically go cruise around in a van with my friends and go skiing every weekend. Your childhood turned into your dream. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you are still someone who I consider like every time we're anywhere, you're like, let's go make another lap. Like, let's go do this. Like, you just want to ski all the time. And that's like this enthusiasm. It actually really motivated me today because I landed 
on the plane and drove straight to Stevens to ski with you. And I was like, Ingrid would totally do this. And I'm going to do it because it's the best thing ever. Yeah. If there's a chance to get another lap in or to meet and ski with you, it's like, if I have a chance to make a run with one of my friends, I will do, yeah, whatever it takes. It's like always better if you can do that. Yeah, I agree. Always worth it. It cleared my mind, and I was in such a happy place afterwards. Thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> Thank you for making the making the trek up there. Yeah. So when did you get your first sponsors in skiing? My first sponsor happened, um, I had graduated college, and then I moved to Tahoe, sight unseen, because I just wanted to be a ski bum for a year before getting a real job. And I met a friend there who encouraged me. She said, we're going to go do the Kirkwood contest. And I had never competed in free ride. I hadn't even really considered it. But we went down there, and I actually did pretty good. I think I got third or something. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like a ski bum, but with a purpose because I can train. I have these friends to hang out with. Um, and then so I competed in free skiing contests for two to three years until I got my first actual sponsor. Amazing. Who was your first sponsor? The North Face was my first wow. paying sponsor. Yeah, the first contract that I ever signed. That's amazing. Yeah. And how did they scout you? It was through the contest? Um, it was through Rick Armstrong, Sick Rick, mm-hmm. who was so awesome. And he, yeah, I think through the contest, and they were looking for a woman, and I was looking for a sponsor. And so he called me and said, hey, I heard you're, you know, looking for a sponsor. Is that your long, that's your longest standing sponsor then? Yes, totally. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. So you get sponsored and you're competing. Mm-hmm. At which point did you find Matchstick or who was the first company you filmed with? Um, Matchstick was the first company I filmed with. Um, and that just totally happened by accident because I was, I thought I was supposed to go to Europe. I was going to go to Chamonix. Couldn't find my passport. Missed the flight. And I was so dejected. Like, I'm... A terrible adult I can't even I don't have my craft together at all um, but a friend was headed to Crested Butte for the Crested Butte extreme contest and she was like just jump in my dad and I are going you can ride with us I went to that contest slept on a friend's couch in their hotel room like one of those tiny crappy hotel room couches yes um, borrowed money for the contra- for the entry fee because I was like pretty much broke at that point and I ended up winning the contest it was $6,000 for a oh prize. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I was like, I don't have to work for a year. <laughs> and also, um, Murray and Steve from Matchstick happened to be in the audience watching. And I didn't even know that. But then the next fall, I was interning at Powder Magazine because I just figured, okay, I'm not going to make it as a skier, but I still need to be involved in mm-hmm. the ski industry. So I figured maybe as a writer. Um, but then, yeah, I got the call from Murray and Steve. And Scott Gaffney, I guess, had seen me skiing at Palisades. And so he had also separately maybe said something, so it all came together. Wow. And was your first segment in your uh, yearbook? Yeah. So that was 2004? Yep. Yeah. And then how many films were you in subsequently after that? I think I was in nine total with Matchstick. Yeah. And you were such a staple. I mean, you were filming with them long before I was filming with them. And you were one of the first women in our sport that I saw on the big screen and that was getting proper publicity in that way. And so to me, you're like this, I mean, to a lot of people, let's be real, you're this legend of our sport. And when I talked in the intro about you pioneering, like filming as a female skier, like you really did. You held a huge space in that film year after year. 
Thanks. I mean, I feel like I just got lucky. I was right place, right time. Because before that, like, Matchstick had had Wendy Fisher in their movies. Um, they had, uh, Jamie Burge was in a couple of ski movies. Um, but beyond that, like, maybe Allison Gannett was in mm-hmm. um, a movie. Kim Rykelm was in Blizzard of Oz. But there just wasn't that many opportunities for women to be in those ski movies. Yeah, totally. And when I say that, I think that was the time that I start started becoming more interested. Mm-hmm. So that's when I would go to the local movie rental spot and all they had was Matchstick. And I was like, oh, Ingrid, this is awesome. And I was competing in slope style at the time. But did you ever get to interact with a lot of those women that you were just speaking about? I've become friends with, yeah, many of them. But I never got to go skiing with any of them because it was like one woman at a time. Like... We're good. We have one. We're good. Yeah. Did you overlap with them in any of those films? No, not at all. I remember asking if Wendy was going to film, and they said no. She had a kid. Like, mm. mm-hmm. It was just like end of story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I guess like moving forward, what other, I mean, I, we've talked about it a lot on like a personal note, just like uh, when we're hanging out or whatever about different things that we lived through as young female skiers. And if you're comfortable talking about any of those things, I think it's kind of fascinating because it's history. It's in the history books, but a lot of people don't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of just really thinking about what the, um, (laughs) like, in terms of just thinking about what the industry was like at that time, and we all just accepted it. Um, I'm not like blaming anyone or any particular entity um, because this was just the way it was. And I played into it. I benefited from it. Um, but most movies, it was like there was one woman. And if the woman couldn't, like I heard stories of another woman who wouldn't wasn't allowed to film with a major company because she wouldn't party hard enough or, oh, she, you know, her form isn't perfect or whatever it was. Like, it was just like the standards for women were that much higher. And also, like, for example, Powder Magazine, not to throw them under the bus. I love them. They've, I had amazing relationships with a lot of people there. They were in business for 49 years, and they had less than 10 women on their covers ever. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of things that were, at the time, it was just like nobody thought about it. But then when you read old interviews with like the editor, it's like, oh, we would love to put more women on the cover, but they're just not up to the quality of skiing that we like to see. And that is just kind of BS, because the women were shredding, but they weren't having the opportunities. And it's definitely a chicken and egg situation. Like you have to give them the opportunities so they can shred. But if you're not out actively seeking those women out and creating those opportunities for them, then you can't blame the women for not being on the cover. Yeah, for sure. And you say that you benefited from it, but I would lean towards that it probably affected you in many different ways. Um, I know that I, I still notice like these longer term effects that it has on, I don't know, my character, I guess, of these things that we lived through back then. Like, 
I think it's fair to say that we both probably benefited from it being the one girl at certain times but also like looking back I think to be totally honest I think it held me back from my progression 100% that's totally accurate and that's a really good point because there were so many times that to be that one woman or to fit in I had to not be myself I had to felt like I had to be a certain way or do certain things that were not in my nature but as a young woman really trying to desperately prove myself I was not listening to myself in a lot of situations and now I'm yeah like you said we have to we have to deal with that now Um, and when you're young you just don't know you think oh this is the way it is and there's nobody to help you there's not an older female to guide you there's no role model that's gonna mentor you and take you under their wing and say oh yeah don't put up with that don't do this watch out for that person whatever it is like we just didn't have that yeah and I remember like I kind of did have like a few women that came before me in the slope style space but if I would bring anything up like it wasn't an open conversation and I feel like that was part of the entire like times right yeah well because you were made to feel like if you talked about it, if you rocked the boat, you would lose your spot. And it was like everyone fiercely guarded their spots so hard that it was a competitive environment. It wasn't like a, I'm going to bring you all in. We're all going to rise together. It was more like, oh, I have to fiercely guard this. Yeah. So that she doesn't steal my opportunity or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I never felt that from you or I don't think that most women were like that. I just think that that's how the industry made us feel that we had to be. Yeah, and I don't think that was my truth, too. I don't think I knew who I was for a very long time, which may be true for a lot of people, but I feel like looking at the younger generation coming up, like I just interviewed Lily Bradley, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, you just show up unauthentically, or completely authentically yourself, and you know what you want, and you know who you are, it seems to me, from the outside looking in, and you're supportive of other women, and like, I just don't feel like I had that at that young age. 100%, I remember showing up at my first free ride, my first big free ski contest in Whistler, and just like, the women wouldn't talk to me because I didn't have a fancy jacket. I like had my old duct taped jacket that I had ski racing in college, and they one woman people are like talking about their lines and one woman's like I'm not going to tell you my line like it was just a totally that type of like elbows out yeah competitive (laughs) environment yeah I do have this really amazing story that always makes me smile a ton and you just said Whistler and competing and there was this big air contest there it was the WSL or something yeah anyways um big air contest there was only a select number of women that were able to compete maybe it was like four or five like it might have even been three and I really wanted to compete I was there I was ready to go and someone had mentioned oh I think Sarah's not gonna take her run and I was like really and they're like yeah you should go talk to her So I went up to Sarah Burke, who was a huge idol of mine at the time, and my fellow competitor, and I was like, hey, Sarah, I heard you weren't going to take your run. I'm like the first alternate. Like, if you aren't, just let me know. I'd be psyched to take a run. And she was like, I totally am, but I'd be more than happy to give you my spot. And I was like, no, definitely not. Like, you have to go and take your run. And she went up there, and I was standing in the finished corral, and I, I didn't get to compete. 
but she threw this cork nine, grabbed mute, held it for so long, and it was the most beautiful trick that I'd ever seen from a woman, and stomped it, and I like barged through the fence and tackled her, and that moment to me represented like how you should show up to your fellow female athletes. 100%. It was this beautiful, like she was such a graceful leader in that sense. It was she so powerful. Totally was, and she was a turning point within the industry. And I got to film with her as well for Matchstick, and then we traveled a lot for like movie tours and stuff. But spending time with her, it was all about lifting each other up. How can we help each other? How can we create more opportunities? Um, and I think all the work that she did there really started changing people's minds within the industry that maybe there are room for, maybe there is room for more than, you know. Yeah, one. One woman. <laughs> totally. And I think, like, she was so ahead of her time. Totally. Because she fought for equal prize money for us in our slope style contest and won. She got that. She fought for women to be included in the Olympics. And then you look at, like, the, you know, WSL, and they just recently, within the last however many years, three, four, five years, have double equal pay. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, I'm like, whoa, we had that like 15 years ago, thanks to Sarah. Yeah, and it wasn't that she wasn't competitive. She was hyper-competitive, but in the best way of being competitive where you bring everyone up and you just honestly want the best person to win and you know that when everyone has more opportunities, it creates like a higher level of con competition for everybody. Yeah, yeah. She was such a beautiful person. Yes. Um, so did, were you the first one out of your family to move to Tahoe? Yeah, I was. You started the trend. I did, I know. What drew you to Tahoe? Um, my One of my best friends that I grew up skiing with, Shauna, who's one of the most beautiful natural skiers I've ever skied with, um, she was like, you've got to go to this place. It's the best skiing ever. Um, yeah, so I just moved there. I didn't really know anybody at the time and I kind of wanted to challenge myself which is such a silly idea now that I look back I'm like oh my gosh I was so naive I wanted to move somewhere where I didn't know anybody to see if I could do it to challenge myself and to really grow as a person and it ended up just being like a super depressing six first months but <laughs> I um, it really did challenge my character and help me grow as a person so I guess yeah. I achieved that goal and it was when you were in Tahoe you started filming for Matchstick yeah. While yeah. traveling. Yeah, probably like three years after I moved to Tahoe, I started filming with Matchstick. Yeah. And that kind of kick-started and took your career to a totally different place. Yes, it did. I mean, it was something I didn't even, yeah, I just thought I'd be in Tahoe being a ski bum. And then I was like, okay, now I'll maybe like write for ski magazines or be an editor or something. And then I ended up, yeah. <laughs> Making a career for yourself. Yeah. What, did you go to school for writing? No, I went to school for geology. Mm. Mm. rocks for jocks <laughs> but I went because well I, I went to a liberal arts school and they said that it doesn't matter what major you pick you're going to get a well-rounded education just pick what interests you and I picked geology because it was super interesting and because you got to go on a lot of field trips and be outside a lot um, and then of course I graduated and was like oh you if you have a geolo geology degree you get a job like on a drill rig or on a construction site right um, yeah, so I did an internship uh, one summer, and I was like, yeah, I just, I don't think I can hack it in this field. Yeah, fair. And to me, one of my favorite segments of yours is yearbook, which is shocking now looking at your Wikipedia has a great detailed bio on you. Oh, my gosh. But that was the first film that you were involved with. Yeah. H how did you come out swinging like that? 
Well, I think it was a combination of like right place, right time and total naivety. Like you have that. Um, at that point, I was right at the perfect intersection of confidence in myself and then the absolute best conditions I've ever encountered on a trip. And also just like the chip on my shoulder wanting to prove. And then also I never, I think when you're young, you only see the possibility and the opportunity. I wasn't thinking about getting hurt. I wasn't thinking about avalanches. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was only thinking about um, how hard could I ski and how big could I go and how fast could I go. Yeah. That's an interesting point, and that's something that you brought up to me recently, too, in a personal conversation of, like, had I been told, if you want to share that. Oh, man, yeah, it's totally... A lot of people say, how can I be, get to be a pro skier? Or they want to have advice. And it's I'm almost hesitant to give advice because I think back to when I was young, starting out. And if someone would have told me, okay, you can be a pro skier. You're going to get to do this amazing stuff. You're going to get to travel all over the world, meet all these amazing people, have an incredible career. Um, it's going to be super fun, but you're also going to lose you know, your brother, um, a ton of people that you love and a ton of friends in this sport, um, which do you choose? And the answer is 100%. Like I would, I would want all those people to live. Um, and I, I know that that's not correlated. Like my being a professional skier isn't, uh, have anything to do with that in a sense, but yeah, it's just an interesting way to think about it possibly a depressing way to think about it but it's also the truth and mm -hmm. it's important for me to be clear-eyed when looking at the choices I've made and yeah I don't know it's just the reality of it yeah and it's interesting too because like I mean we have like all the injuries all the people you lose and and same like you start out and you're so fired up and there's this like drive to be the best female skier like that to totally. me at that time not that we, we didn't have competitions and I wasn't a free ride competitor but that was a drive like that was the award that you could get for your performance mm -hmm. and then as you grow and as you learn and you experience all these things the multiple surgeries the loss of friends like it changes your perception and your approach to the mountains yeah at what point do you think in your career did you start to like have these realizations or kind of shift your mindset or your approach to the mountains? I think probably after losing my brother, it was maybe subconsciously that I was definitely more nervous in the mountains and more cautious. Um, and then having some injuries for sure. And then um, definitely having kids made me definitely rethink um, my approach to risk and what lines I'm willing to do, um, removing my ego from it and just being like, yeah, cool, I'll come back another day and not like feeling bad about myself for saying no and coming back another day um that's been a big shift but yeah I guess all those things contributed and back to what you were just saying earlier like I think that's kind of a universal human arc of no matter what career you have you start out with like guns of blazing um just all ambition and only possibility and then Maybe you have setbacks along the way or life intervenes and stuff happens and 
you're have to look at you have to reevaluate your choices and just make sure you're on the right track no matter what job you choose or no matter what you're yeah. doing it's just like life isn't necessarily as linear and upward flowing as i initially thought um, and that's just how life is Interrupting this episode to thank a couple more sponsors, including Peak Skis. I've been getting so many questions about the skis and the company. First off, I've got to shout out the 104SC as I'm continuously falling for these skis every single day. They're ridiculously fun, and I've shocked myself with the width on these deep Tahoe storm days. At 104 underfoot, they actually float incredibly well. They've got this technology called keyhole technology, which is basically an egg-shaped hole in the metal placed in front of your binding, which allows the ski to connect with the turn in a radical new way. I've noticed the difference of peaks to other ski brands in that it skis like a real ski. And I honestly had almost forgotten what that felt like, but they hold a solid and uninterrupted edge with no chatter. They're smooth and fast with those black bases. The keyhole adds float while in powder, allowing that ski to actually flex in front of your binding and allows the ski to initiate the turn with ease. Bodhi's done a great job with the line and Chris Davenport is making a backcountry line. And I'm gonna come in soon with my own tweaks and I'm just excited about these skis. Lastly, I'd like to thank Arcteryx. This company is obsessed with the details and they're absolutely hitting the mark with quality product made to last for a very long time. It's been a minute since I've talked about the Regear program of which I'm a huge fan of. Arc will take back your gear that isn't being used and refurbish it with the same obsessive design that built it to extend its active life beyond one adventure or user. 65% of the environmental impact of one of our jackets is caused by its creation, including the production of the raw materials and the making of the garment. The longer we can keep great gear in action, the more we spread the impact of its existence across time. Send your unused gear back to receive a gift card if it's resellable, or just shop the Regear site and get amazing deals on everything from jackets to pants to shoes and give these items a second life. Well, I think it's also growth too, which is like a beautiful thing and a beautiful process to go through as well and coming to a place of, I know that like more recently having had an injury last January, I was like, oh, I kind of like went through this process of thinking that that was it and that like my knee was forever messed up because I was in denial, but it made me shed this ego and this drive that I used to have. And I think that that was actually a really healthy process to go through. And, and in the end, I'm fine. Yeah, 100%. But it is important to separate your self-worth and who you are as a human from your performance in yeah. your job or your passion. Yeah. And just understand that, yes, you get on some days you're going to be the best gear in the world. On some days, you're going to just be like barely hacking it down a groomer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're still a skier, and that's part of that's like the journey part of it that's important that's like where the all the life lessons come from yeah for sure I was just reading an Instagram post today that someone posted and they are a backcountry skier in India and it was talking about their approach to the mountains and how they don't have Instagram they don't have sponsors and how chill it is and there's nothing to prove and this person was like initially kind of saying how oh he thought the answer was to get sponsors and, and bring more attention to the to like the culture there. And then he kind of backpedaled in his writing and was like, I actually really love our chill approach to the mountains and our like non-desire to go get super rad all the time. 
And that kind of like, like, I love the balance, but that resonates with me so much when I'm looking for like, what actually really truly brings me the most joy. It's the pow turns, it's the skin track conversation, the community, the culture that is around us at all times. And I don't know, it's interesting to go through that growth. Yeah, and I think that's what people gravitate to about you. Like you, you're out there, you wanna shred the love is what shows and then people get that it's like radiating off of you it's same with you (laughs) no 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 you are no you are (laughs) but it is such a shift of the mindset and I think our culture is very much focused on the sponsors and getting a name and and creating something for yourself becoming a professional skier winning this contest whatever it may be I think that there's a different and and healthy perspective to to think about on the contrary. Totally. Our culture is all about the individual. And yeah, I think there's the more that we can flip that and think about the community, the team, the our society as a whole. Um, yeah, it'll benefit all of us. Yeah. So when did you talking about community and family <laughs> and everything, <laughs> when did you make the decision to start a family? Um, well, let's see. Our older daughter is six, almost seven. So yeah, I guess it was, I think for a long time, I just kind of like maybe pretended I didn't want to have a family or I didn't want to admit it or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, at a certain point I was just like, okay, if I want to have a family, the clock is ticking. And I had met Jim and I was like, oh yeah, this is a person that I want I see that happening with. Um, so yeah, then at a certain point, oh, that particular winter, I traveled to Japan, Switzerland. I traveled so many places, and then we crossed Russia on the on the train. Essentially, for a month, I spent on the Trans Siberian Railway. Right, I remember that now. And after that, it was like, all right, <laughs> we gotta start a family because. I do not want to do that again. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> but you get off the trans really. It was like, okay, cool. Like, I've done so much cool stuff, and the time is now. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you feel content with everything that you had done? No, not at all. I feel like I was leaving so much on the table, and I was just, like, scrapping for every opportunity um, that I had. But at a certain point, it was like, if I don't start a family now, I won't have that. And even if I lose all my sponsors, because at the time there weren't any women who had continued their sponsorships after having kids. And so I pretty much thought I was throwing my career in the trash by having a family. But it was that important to me. I was like, I'll figure something else out. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I mean, Hillary is the one example that I have that may have come before you. But she was kind of in a different realm of yeah. what we did. Yes, Hillary yeah. and Kit were huge um, huge mentors and idols of mine, but they were in the ski mountaineering realm. And so I guess I didn't necessarily correlate that to free skiing, which is more about the marketing side of things. Yeah. And the way. job description is quite different. Yes. That's like very fair. Totally. I mean, yeah. you have to be, yeah, some of it's about, yeah, a lot of it's about your skiing. But a lot of it is also how marketable are you. Mm-hmm. Was that a tough decision to make? 
thinking of the possibility of losing everything too? It was, but at the same time, I was just like ready. The biology part was so strong that I, yeah, a certain, sometimes you just know something is so right that you're willing to give up a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that transition for you and like those conversations with your sponsors and like, Um, I was super nervous and I, some of my sponsors were super supportive and didn't change anything. And then some of my major sponsors cut my contracts in half. And I just, I think at the time I was just supposed to feel grateful that I was still got to do it because nobody else that I knew had. So I just felt grateful. I was like, oh, cool. I still get to kind of do it. Right. Um, but yeah, looking back that is like hugely maddening and frustrating that that happened and that I just was okay with it yeah well thank you on behalf of all of the moms currently and the future moms because it takes one to like start that and to and also to maintain your sponsorships and move forward like that's a really brave and courageous thing to do I think you were the first in in our realm of skiing Yeah, I mean, maybe brave, maybe just dumb, or maybe just, like, singular focus. Like, I still just wanted to ski so much that I wasn't willing to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we need, I think, like, women are marketable and are valuable at every stage of their life. You would hope so. You would totally hope so. And, um, you know, I think a lot changed with Allison Felix, and when that became really public that her sponsor Nike dropped her, when she became pregnant, that really changed things. Um, And her talking about that was a huge deal for women in sports. Yeah, for sure. And that that conversation happened, you know, probably maybe like four or five years ago, and then things really started to change. Yeah, immediately within our industry, actually. 100%. I remember because I was on the the boat with Kimmy Fasani and her new one-year-old in Svalbard. And, um, yeah, that news was announced, and when we arrived to the dock and got service, there was a large, I think it was maybe even in the New York Times article, that Burton had added to their contract – like basically protection for women if they are going to start a family. Yeah, and that none of that stuff was in the contracts when I had my first kid, for sure. Yeah. Probably not even a second. Yeah, and I think some sponsors didn't really view it as a career ender. Like I remember Arcteryx has, they have mothers on the team, but it yeah. wasn't like in the contract necessarily. And then I remember like reading that article and basically taking that clause and sending it to all of my sponsors and being like, this needs to be included in all of the women's contracts moving yes, forward. Totally. Yeah. Which is a nervous thing even to ask for. 100%. Because so then they're like, oh, are you pregnant? And yeah. like, oh. <laughs> totally. I'm like, no, I'm just, no, I'm not just looking out for our best interest yes totally <laughs> yeah um and now you have two daughters clover and betty yeah and they're f- how old are they four and six four and six yeah yeah beautiful young ladies that are gonna go night skiing soon and i, I can't know wait to go i with know them. it's so it's so fun to ski with them have you been passing on that like family dynamic with skiing to them you know probably because of what we talked about earlier with like would I encourage my daughters to be pro skiers? They have to follow their own thing, and it's not for me to decide, but I try not to be the, like, rad dad or the rad mom that's, like, forcing them to do, you know? Mm-hmm. I just try to keep it mellow and, like, have it have it be fun. 
Like yeah. that's where my husband is super hugely helpful because when we were teaching Betty to ski, I'd be like, okay, now you need to be more forward, you need to do this, and you then he was just like, whoa, <laughs> chill. Like she needs to be barking like a dog and hopping down the hill right now. That's what she needs to be doing. I was like, oh, right, okay, cool, yeah. Like lay off the competition, mom. That's like, amazing. Yeah, so he's really helpful in that and just like, yeah, trying to make it fun. Yeah. I think like in the last two, three years, I've started to teach a lot of my friends' kids how to mm -hmm. ski. And that yeah. is like, it's so hard. Yeah, like, so hard. Without the racer chaser, the little tourney leash thing, or a hula hoop, like hula hoops apparently are great. I've never used one. But when you're just skiing with a kid, like it, oh I need gosh. to go to a lesson. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, skiing with kids is so fun. I'm like, no, that is BS. Skiing <laughs> with little kids is horrible. You're like carrying a big, like they, they just go limp in your hands. You're bent over. Your back is killing you. Someone has to pee. Someone blows out their diaper. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Seriously, we drove all the way up here, and now we're going to turn around because, yeah. So, it's not working out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So many times. But, yeah, then you get to a certain point, and now they're, like, can ski a little bit on their own, and that's when it starts to be worth it. Are they pretty fired up on it? They are, yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah, but just, again, keep it fun, and you got to stop sometimes before they want to mm. just to always keep them wanting more. Oh, that's a good yeah. tip. Leave the party before the party goes south, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I was doing marshmallows every lap. Yes, there you, you go. You get a marshmallow. Yeah, we do gummy bears, but yeah, whatever. And ultimately, that became my goal, too, is just, like, make it fun, because I had no idea how to actually teach. Totally. Yeah, make it fun. And they probably kind of learn on their own, right? I mean, yeah, when they're little, they'll just, like, see stuff and they try stuff, and when you're that little and you're jammed into those hard boots, there's only so much you can move. So you're just like weekend at Bernie's, you know, like <laughs> down the hill. Yeah. I love that. And then like in the last few years, I think you guys started, y'all started the approach in 2020. Yes. We started, um, well, 2019 was when we were kind of conceptualizing it and starting to film. We first filmed for it in 2020 and then, yeah, the pandemic happened. We lost our funding um, but that really gave us an opportunity to come back to the drawing board and um, come at it with, uh, yeah, just more time and more thought. And so ultimately, it made it a better film. What inspired that movie? What inspired that movie was because Anne and I had loved working together, and we always kept waiting for, like, okay, well, maybe, because, like, All In was going to happen. We're like, well, maybe Anne can film on All In because it wouldn't be cool to have a woman filming women and skiing um but then I got hurt and that didn't work out um which all in was awesome um but we just kept waiting for projects to come along and it was like oh no projects are going to come along for us we have to make the projects like nobody's gonna hire an old mom to ski film and then no and then like an up-and-coming filmmaker who hadn't so we were like, oh, we got to start something of our own. And then we wanted to do a women's project. But very quickly, it was like, we, if we, a women's project that's just imitating all the projects out there isn't really changing the game. So what else can we bring to the table and let's feature? Um, is there room out there for a film that features different all the different types of shredders that are out there, um, adaptive skier, adaptive skiers, women of color, um, just different 
voices and different folks. And so that's where, um, yeah, that's where the initial concept for the approach started. Mm-hmm. And now you've done approach two. Yeah, we did the approach two, and that was amazing. That was like a leveling up, and everyone. The first year was like kind of like, hey, we're here. All, this is all the people that are out there. Um, kind of the representation piece of it, and then the approach two was more just like a pure joy shred film, and just like showing what can happen when people have that support and can be in this space. Yeah, and it was so beautifully done, and the writing is absolutely inspiring. And I had the pleasure of joining all of y'all at the premiere in Salt Lake City. And it was so cool to like see the community that you and Anne and everyone involved have built together and created this space. And to look out into the audience and see the people of different backgrounds that attend that movie and to open that up to an entire new world of people that have traditionally been excluded from ski films. I think, I don't know. I, I, I love and support everything that y'all have done with that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was really fun to share it alongside Nexus, which is, you know, the same similar vein of like blowing the doors off What and just showing that there is an audience out there mm-hmm. for different types of ski films. And there's a lot of people out there that maybe want to try it, but haven't felt the invite before. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and even as an athlete that's been in ski films for so many years, like for me, I always want and seek different projects now because I don't want to continuously do the same thing year after year. Do you feel that at all? Yes, I mean, I a lot of it for me is based on like what can I make happen like in terms of where I'm at in my career. <laughs> Um, if that makes sense. But yeah, it definitely I'm more attracted to different types of projects and stuff that has a story, stuff that has interesting people, stuff that has meaning and purpose and a different way of passing on that information because, you know, when you and I started out, it was like to go snowmobiling in the backcountry, you had to have someone who's willing to show you, someone who's willing to wait for you, someone who had to have like a reason to go out there with you and those secrets and that knowledge was fiercely guarded and you only got to get in if you could prove your worth and um yeah just passing down that knowledge and that experience in a different way is really important and that's I think what's more fun for me and interesting these days Mm -hmm. giving back yeah and in a way where like reflecting on how I was so fortunate to be given all those opportunities my parents ski like I was able to just be there every weekend but that's not the case for everyone and so just reflecting on yeah how what small thing can I do to open the door a little bit more yeah yeah well my hat's off to you for that for sure my hat's right back off to you so we'll just trade hats (laughs) I like your hat it's a bandwagon hat that's a good hat (laughs) um you take this one too (laughs) looks better on you the red the red ball it really looks good on you you just reminded me of a story that I would love for you to tell about snowmobiling and uh what happened on on when you went snowmobiling oh yeah when I was in the Whistler backcountry one time yeah it was for a matchstick movie and I got to Whistler and I had a brand new pair of skis I went sledding to go filming and I didn't have my skis attached on the sled properly so I sheared my bindings off, entirely off the skis. 
So then I couldn't film. I missed a day filming um, while the amazing like vocal rep in Whistler got me a new pair of skis. So I went to the hill to try out my new skis. And at the hill, I had a Subaru that I had from Matchstick Contract. Like it was, a, I got sponsored. We all got sponsored by Subaru. So I got to drive a brand new Subaru. And I freaking backed the thing into a concrete huge concrete pylon in the parking lot no at whistler and dented this like brand new subaru that i was gonna have to pay for so i was just like what on earth and then we go out filming and it's rory bushfield and myself and scott gaffney and we're snowmobiling rory's like amazing snowmobiler but scott and i are pretty mediocre like i'm worse than mediocre and we went way out and I didn't pick out the air. That's what always happens. You got to pick out your own airs. Mm. Someone else pointed out a line, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess. And I went up there and I hit it, and I just like tore my Achilles tendon. I, la- I landed, I like, knew something is wrong. I was like, I think I tore my Achilles tendon. And Rory's like, no, I bet you just tore your calf muscle. Like, I've done that before. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm pretty sure I felt my Achilles tendon like roll up into my calf, but what else? And so they got more shots. I was, like, out there with a torn Achilles tendon, and they kept shooting. Oh. And finally it was time to go. But because I couldn't put any weight on my one um, leg, Rory had to drive my snowmobile up this huge hill. And I doubled with him. And then I got to my snowmobile, and I got on. And I guess he had put the parking brake on, but I didn't know it. So I went to start it up, revved it a couple times, and they were like, parking brake. And by the time I figured out the parking brake, I took it off, started driving, and they took off. And less than like a minute later, he smoke's coming out of the engine of the snowmobile. I stopped, and within like two minutes, the whole thing's on fire. And I'm getting off, I'm hobbling on one leg. Like I go one way, and I'm like, ah, because I thought I was going to blow up. And then I had to go back the other way. I had to like hobble back past this like burning oh my gosh inferno of a snowmobile I had borrowed it from a friend of a friend no. so I had to pay for the snowmobile pay for the dent in the car pay for the dent pay in the car pay for your surgery totally the snowmobile um got burnt like basically down to the ground and we towed it out in scraps and uh yeah that was but now it's mainly just funny because Rory couldn't stop laughing <laughs> and I yeah, now it's just funny because he was like, come on, Ingo. Like, sometimes you just got to laugh. Like, sometimes things get so bad, you just got to laugh. And, like, that's always stuck with me. That's a good piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you love snowmobiling. Yeah. yeah. I'm a terrible snowmobiler. I've, like, made my peace with it. I can do it occasionally, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair I enough. like to use it for access. Yeah, totally. And then tour from there. That's how it is for me. But it's a tool. It's a means to get to the place. I don't need to, like, high mark and sled neck and. Yeah. 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 I love it. I, it's cool when other people do it. It's yeah. Not, it's not me. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my gosh. I love that story. I don't think that I realized all of the things that had happened before you blew it up though. That was extra. Yeah. You got, you got the bonus version. Yeah. So at which point in your career did you start going after like all of these bigger peaks and what drew you to that? Um, that happened because I got an opportunity with the North Face to go on an expedition with Hillary Nelson and Kasha Rigby. And I'd always looked up to them so much. Like they were just such pioneers in ski mountaineering. And excuse me, someone else on the North Face team had pitched an expedition to Baffin and then couldn't go. 
And we were sitting at breakfast, and they're like, oh, these people can't go in Bethany. And I looked over, and I was like, can we go? And they kind of looked at me like, who's this new chick, like, asking if she can go to Bethany? And then Hillary's like, yeah, can we go? And then they're like, uh, I don't see why not. And so we got handed this amazing trip to Bethany, and we spent a month out camped on the fjords, and we uh, skied, I think, we were there for 21 days total. We skied 19 kuars. Wow. We skied every single day. And, uh, yeah, that was amazing. That was, like, I learned how to use crampons and ice axes just to go on that trip. Um, and at one point on the trip, I had my backcountry boots on the wrong feet. <laughs> like, no because, yes, It was the first time I had ever gotten backcountry boots. And the buckles faced the wrong way on the toes. <laughs> So <laughs> did you hike and ski a coulard? With yeah, your I was like hiking up and I was like, this is so weird. And Hillary's like, uh, I think you have your boots on the road. Because <laughs> it was my first time getting actual backcountry boots. <laughs> I just can't. That's amazing. Yeah, totally. It's pretty cool because thinking about it, like the first trip that I, I was like, I need to learn how to use ice axes and crampons was yeah. to go to Svalbard with you and Davenport. No way. I can't believe you had never used an ice axe and crampon before that trip. Well, I went out to the Southern Sierra and yeah. I, yeah, I, t- I hiked one coulard, North Peak Coulard, and uh-huh. it was pretty steep. It's a, it's an ice climb traditionally, I think, but beautiful line. And then was like, okay. I think I'm good to go. And then, yeah, I got in the boat with all y'all, and I was like, well, here we are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you passed that on to me. Thank you. Yeah, you did great. <laughs> you, you. But on that trip, there was, like, that day when the uh, avalanche happened, actually, I was hiking up that coulard, yeah. and my crampon fell off. Ugh. And it, like, fell down this really icy, like, part of the slope and so I had to like down climb and I was super embarrassed I was with Pondella and I was with Davenport down climb get my crampon yell up to them hey I like could drop my crampon and then I walked back up and Davenport took all the time in the world to explain how to put it on correctly and how to do the French technique and mm-hmm. like was yeah. really awesome and then yeah we subsequently were like almost in the bottleneck of the couloir when an avalanche was triggered from a it was a wet slide that started with a little snowball up top, but had my crampon not fallen off, we would have been in the gun barrel. Like, you couldn't escape it. So that tiny, yeah, the crampon falling off. You like, saved everyone. I actually believe that it probably saved everyone. Yeah. Because it was so heavy. It was like Yosemite Falls being unleashed on top of you. Like, when the thing came by, it would have seriously injured you or... Oh, my gosh. Maybe, yeah, and we were yeah. just blissfully in our other couloir. We had no idea yeah. that that was going on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That Oh, you don't have to apologize. That was just a really interesting moment in my career where I recognized that I needed to learn how to communicate super well my thoughts and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Yeah, I think that was, like, around the same time that, well, that was, we had started Safe As a little bit before that. I think so, yeah. we were all kind of learning how, at that same time, we'd all had, you know, maybe injuries or seen accidents happen or avalanches or, and I think, you know, Elise had survived the Stevens Pass avalanche. And I think around that time, we all collectively just were, like, whoa something needs to change like we need to find our voices and be able to speak up because it's no longer okay to just be like the one woman who's trying 
for me at least, to trying to hang so hard that I don't speak up because I want to be tough and I want to be cool and I don't want to be judged for being wimpy or something. So I just wouldn't say anything. And I was in so many sketchy situations mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. And I think that was like a turning point for all of us in those couple of years there of like, wow, something needs to change and we need to be a part of that change. Yep. I couldn't agree more. I think for me, I had also been in situations where I felt really judged yes. or I felt undermined. Um, and that was hard to swallow, especially like after having gone through a bunch of different courses and trying to find my place in the mountains. And, and when you're hiking too, there's even less women that are out there hiking these mountains. And so you were constantly surrounded by men and, and I didn't feel heard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a culture that rewards like achievement it rewards summits. It doesn't reward turning around and making the right decision. Yeah. It's all about the summit, the rad line, um, and, yeah, being able to change that conversation and make it about, yeah, for sure there's a summit, but let's wait till the right day. Mm-hmm. Totally, because the mountains open up, and you can, you can go for it at times when it's appropriate. But I feel like with Safe As, like, I've learned and have so much more confidence through having taught these courses for, mm-hmm. we're at 11 years now. We're teaching one tomorrow. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. But I feel like I've learned and grown so much and, and, and even found my voice when you're projecting it to like 36 people in your classroom. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's a constant learning process. Like yeah. It's something that you can, even as we're teaching, and I think that's so cool about the course is that as we're teaching, we're not saying that we're the complete authority. We're saying that this is an evolving body of knowledge and we're all here together learning um, and all of our input matters. And I think that encouraging that type of culture in the mountains, like if you're the most experienced person out in the group in the backcountry, if you're the newest person, like everyone's voice matters and we all have to work together to make the right decision. Yeah, and encouraging your friends to speak up and to ask questions and to have those conversations. I think that's, I think that our culture is shifting when you're out there on the skin track or or in the backcountry, or just in the mountains in general, I think there is a shift in understanding that and meeting people where they're at, but I still think we need to work on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. I like that there's a lot of more media now, like in Originate or in Cody Townsend's 50 Project, where people are talking about the decision-making, the turning around, and making that just, like, totally acceptable and okay. Yeah. Yeah. Encouraged. Absolutely. I love the 50 Project has so many good nuggets of information and how to approach the mountains. And yeah. And even like I keep referencing Jer's book, which you've got to read. Okay, I can't wait. Yeah. There's so much good stuff in there. Yes. That's we need. Yeah. Jer making safety cool. Cody making safety cool. Michelle is out there making safety cool. Ingrid, you <laughs> stop it. I make nothing cool. You make so cool. much cool. You're the one that made all of this cool. Are uh, you kidding me? Well, no, I mean, I, I think that's one of the awesome parts about being a mom is at a certain point you're like, oh, right. Yeah, I don't have to worry about being cool anymore because I'm the mom that's like rocking out to the Disney soundtrack in the car and like that's my favorite song and I've given up on being cool and it's a very freeing experience really. I'm sure but rocking out to Disney is cool. If there is one thing that you could tell yourself now Mm -hmm. when you were younger one piece of advice. Oh if I could okay you mean me right now going back and telling myself when I was younger. 
oh my gosh, to just like have more grace and be kinder to myself. Like mm-hmm. just, um, yeah, to be easier on myself. Yeah, I think we all could do that. Mm-hmm. But I agree as we get older and you go through that growth, like it's easier to be kind to yourself. I don't know if that's part of like stripping the ego and and letting that pressure dissolve or or what it is like what's helped you with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's just a human thing where it's like some sort of evolution or biology where when you're younger, you have to be out there pushing it to get the food or the mate or whatever it is. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then over time, your role changes. So that drive kind of changes, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your role has changed starting a family and everything. And I guess my career and my role, I feel like it is changing Mm -hmm. as you get older and you have more experience for sure. But yeah, that's a good one. Be kinder to yourself. (laughs) Have more grace. Mm -hmm. We are encroaching on, it's 554. Okay. Yeah. And we've got ski kiddos. We have night skiing to do. Is there Um, anything else? Like what's, what's next? Um, what's next? Well, I'm currently skiing 100 days in a row. That's my goal. Love that. Yes. Um, I'm on day six, so <laughs> <laughs> just a couple more. But, yeah, that's my goal for the winter is to ski 100 days in a row and kind of like, um, yeah, that's what I used to do as a ski mom, and that's what I – that's why I'm still doing it. And so, yeah, to prioritize my passion and my career – um, just make it a daily thing is a, a really huge challenge. Yeah, that's awesome. It also requires less travel and like staying more planted and yeah, or travel with like thinking about how you can ski during the day. It's like you got to meet your friend for that one run. You know, you got to make it happen. Um, yeah, and that's just about yeah. Like my kids are a little bit older now; they're not babies anymore, and so um, yeah, giving myself that freedom to prioritize that um love that and then one thing I last I like to ask everyone is like I'm just gonna give you your space to brag about one thing that you're really proud of um well I'm really proud of the approach um and the approach too that's something that came together and has been so much work but also so much joy and it's come together beyond our wildest dreams and also just in terms of like personal fulfillment. Yeah. Um, not like, um, but yeah. But that's more important than yes, anything 100%. else. Yeah. I'm not talking about like professional recognition or anything. I'm just talking about like personal fulfillment and just like pride mm-hmm. of um, being involved in something that is really cool and special. Um, and then, yeah, just my family, just like, I guess, being a mom is a really cool thing. That's something that's really special to me. And also just being able to still be a professional skier. Yeah. At this point, that's something that is, you know, a source of a lot of um, mixed emotions of the journey and all the tough times and the frustrations that still happen. But, um, yeah, just that I've been able to pursue my passion for this long. Yeah. It's so fortunate. But I also, I know you're fortunate, I know you feel that, but it's so well-deserved at the same time. Thank you. Well, likewise, we've both been professional skiers for about the same amount of time Yeah, when you were younger, when you started. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We're... And just for the record, I used to beg to get to film with you. Oh, 
that would have been the best. I mean, maybe would have been still so can. cool. Maybe yeah, I wish. I hope yeah. one day. But we got to ski together day, and that was awesome. And I also just want to say a huge shout out to Anne. Yeah. Cleary for oh, yeah. editing and filming the approach and yeah. Vasu and Emily and Brooklyn and who else? Sophia Name them all. and Anna. Yeah, such an incredible cast of individuals that bring so much to our industry and I think their perspectives are amazing to sit down and listen to them and to hear their stories and, and what they're bringing is a cultural shift and I think it's much needed and it's beautiful and so, yeah, thank you for starting the approach and for bringing everyone into the fold. And, yeah. Well, thank you so much for all the work you're doing, and thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. Now pleasure. we're going night skiing. It's all mine. <laughs>